from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. This is the Expecting Aerials podcast. Letting you guys know in the show notes, there's a link. The comprehensive course by Wrap Your Head Around Silks will open for 2021 registration on October the 18th. Go ahead there to get more details. And if you already receive emails from me, just keep your eyes peeled on your inbox. Today's guest is Justine Paula. She is a sports chiropractor based in Boston, seven years into her aerial practice, and she teaches at a small studio in New Hampshire. A trigger warning for those sensitive about loss, Justine's second pregnancy was full of surprises. And you guys know that I do not claim to be a doctor or an expert. So all of this information is from Justine and the University of Google. Her surprises included an IUGR diagnosis, which stands for intrauterine growth restriction. It's where the fetus doesn't grow as expected and usually in the 10th percentile or less in growth. She experienced, uh, excuse me for my pronunciations, velamentous cord insertion. It's a complication where the umbilical cord is abnormally inserted. She experienced an amniocoronic separation it's a rare condition characterized by a detachment between the amniotic membrane and the coronic membrane. Last but not least, her beautiful daughter, Selena, now 14 months, had a coarctation of the aorta, which is characterized by the narrowing of the aorta, forcing the heart to work too hard, and she had to have preemie heart surgery, so not stressful at all. This is an intriguing story, and let's hear it from Justine. Let's get started. Yeah, it's kind of wild. I feel like everyone I know that's an aerialist has had like a crazy pregnancy story. Um, Yeah, maybe everybody you know. (laughs) I think I'm luckier, and my ladies are, you know, we had some C-sections and such, but Right. Nothing insane. And I would say like statistically rare. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I looked up some of the things in your email because I was like, never heard of that. Let me look that (laughs) up. I hadn't heard of half of it myself and I I was Googling everything. Yeah. So I was like Googling, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So basically I'm going to ask you to explain this to both me and our listeners because you know, it's rare for a reason, you know, not everybody has heard of it. You're living between Boston and New Hampshire. You've been doing aerial for about seven years. You do rope, hoop, and silks, and you teach up there. And uh, you live a you live an aerial lifestyle. That's pretty much it, yeah. Do you do anything else major in your life or? Before I got into aerial, I did a lot of like weightlifting and my background's in strength and conditioning. So I- uh, okay. You know, I used to teach spin classes before I got in the air. So a little different type of class. I loathe spin class. 
like with an L. I loved it when I was younger. <laughs> I hate it now. I mean, I get like that endorphin rush and you're in a room with a bunch of people and it's like, you, what do you lose? Like 700 calories for class or amount. something like that? And like literally all the water you've put in your body for the last three days. <laughs> uh, but I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, okay, so you're, you've got a fitness background. You have a very interesting birth story of your daughter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my husband and I have been together for 15, almost 16 years now. Um, so I think most people assumed we wouldn't probably have kids, but we always mm-hmm. were open to it. And uh, we suffered a first trimester loss before the pandemic, which from the internet I've learned is now like, it's so common. I feel like so many women, it's like the, what, a one in four, one in five. Yeah. How, how far into your first trimester? I was around like, I'm guessing around the eight to 10 week mark. Okay. So would that be considered a chemical pregnancy or not? I don't know if it's a little fur, like they, they did, they got to, I got to the appointment with the ultrasound and that's when they didn't see anything. So... Okay. So that happened before the pandemic. And then you kind of have to take that in emotionally and deal with it before right. you move on to the next try. Yeah. And you know, some, some people are a little more sensitive than others to it. I feel like the, the OB I had seen originally was just like, oh, you're young and healthy. It's fine. You'll, ha- you'll get pregnant again. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask how old you were at that time? I was 32. You were 32 during your first, yes. during that loss. And and by then you had already been in Ariel for many years. Yeah, I probably started Ariel somewhere in my late 20s. Okay, okay, great. You had that first loss and how long mm-hmm. was it till you decided to start trying again? We got pregnant again, I want to say like six, seven months later. Okay. So we weren't really actually trying again. We were just kind of seeing. So when I found out I was pregnant again, they were doing blood tests they want to test like the the levels of HCG ahead of time, like to see that it's doubling every 48 hours before that like first original appointment. And my numbers never doubled. And usually that's a sign of like either another miscarriage or something else going on. So then they did an early out ultrasound. And what we were guessing was maybe about seven weeks along. I was actually 10 weeks along. Hmm. Okay. But the, and I was like, but wait a minute, (laughs) but your pregnancy hormone levels were not matching what was standard. Right. Yeah. They weren't like, I guess it's like they, they're supposed to double every 48 hours. Uh, So they do the blood test like on like a Wednesday and then they redo it on a Friday to see if it's this, this hormone is doubled and mine wasn't. So they repeated it twice. Nothing happened, but they're like, all right, we'll just do the ultrasound. We'll see what's going on. And luckily she was doing great. Okay. That's great. I had about like six weeks of a normal pregnancy, I'd say, between like maybe like week 10-ish through, you know, like that, maybe a little bit before the anatomy scan. Okay. Um, And that was right around the pandemic shut everything down mid-March. And that was pretty much my anatomy scan happened like end of March. Oh, what a stressful time. My goodness. Oh my God. I can't imagine. They were just like, oh, she's measuring a little small on the anatomy scan at like the 19, 20 week mark. And they're like, we'll just have you go check out with the, the maternal fetal specialist just, just to keep an eye on you. And so for like five weeks, they kind of just kept a, every other week kind of look at her. They're like, all right, she's small, but nothing to worry about. They did uh, diagnose it as an intrauterine growth restriction or IUGR because she was like, less than the 10th percentile, which I guess is part of the diagnostic procedures there. 
And can you explain what this is? Because I had just looked it up and just learned what this is. Yeah. So I guess it's when uh, babies are small for their size. It can be like under the 10th percentile. And I guess they can, they, they do all the measuring in there. And during the ultrasound, the sonographer can check like the, the head size to waist size to legs. And I guess there's all different diagnostics about it, but pretty much means your baby's going to be small. Okay. There's no, any reason for it. I know a lot of the reasons and that it comes up a lot is substance abuse and hypertension and like other comorbidities going on. Mm-hmm. But I had none of the comorbidities. And so I was just like, all right, maybe she's just small. Okay. And how stressful is it for you? Like a lot of people would deal with that differently. I have a lot of anxiety, so I'd be a mess. Oh, it was, you know, sh- super stressful at the time. Like my, both I stopped teaching and I wasn't working because everything was shut down. So I was pretty much <laughs> with my own thoughts all day. <laughs> yeah. Like nothing to distract you, not your usual emotional outlets, all the all, things. All of the things. And so I was just like, and we were all feeling stuff because of the pandemic and then add that on top. Oh my gosh. Any, even if you had a completely regular pregnancy during this time of year, I feel like it, it couldn't be well for anyone. Yeah. We're supposed to stay away from each other. It's like, that's the time when you need your friends oh, and absolutely. your emotional support the most. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I ugh, <laughs> cannot imagine. So it was like, okay, you know, if we, we can make it through, we can make it through. It's no big deal. And then at about like the 25, 26 week mark, they didn't like what they were seeing in the follow-up. And so they're like, yeah, we're going to send you to the city. We're going to send you to the, the hospital that deals with NICU and all of that type of stuff. Okay. So did you go to Boston? I did. Okay. Yeah. What they were seeing that sent me down there was the blood flow issues through the placenta, intermittent, absent, and diastolic blood flow. Oh, that is a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and is that the reason why you had the IUGR situation? They think they're like it's like the chicken and the egg. They can't seem to figure out which came first or okay. what is causing what. Okay. And, and these are all like some of the smartest people I've ever been in a room with. And I'm like, okay. Apparently it's like when they check the Doppler, when they're doing the ultrasound, that like that whooshing sound, I probably, you probably remember like the. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and apparently they measure like the deviation between everything and normal blood flow is like the numbers like below one. It's everything's going in the right flow. Baby's getting the nutrition. Everything's good. And in our case, little Selena was not getting any of the, the blood was like really restricted. And so what they were worried about happening was if that blood flow goes reverse, they like have to do like an immediate C-section and get the baby out to, to try and save the baby. So you had to stay in the hospital. They didn't actually admit me right away. Oh, okay. Yeah. So at about like 27 weeks, they're like, you know, we're just going to ultrasound you like two plus times a week and monitor you. And if we see anything that, or you feel anything like, you let us know ASAP and we, they're going to admit me. And so I was like, okay, I had no nausea. I had no, any of the symptoms that people typically get in pregnancy. So I just felt, I felt totally fine. Twice a week, I drove into the city alone because you couldn't bring a, a partner. Right. They, they were like, oh, make sure you have a hospital bag with you just in case. Oh, that's not stressful or anything. My God. <laughs> not at all. And so I did that for about a month. We made it from like Memorial Day through the end of June, where it was like, it almost became like, like, oh, nothing bad's happening. This is all just, they're being just overly cautious. Mm. We're fine. I was at about 31 weeks and change. 
and then they didn't like what they saw on that ultrasound. And it wasn't even the blood flow thing, the original thing they were worried about. They're like, that kind of stabilized. Oh, there's like a amniocorion separation happening and there's like an amniotic band. What? Okay. Yeah, which is a whole other thing. And so that is not related. Yeah, all of these things are separate things. So is it kind of like it's really good that the first thing made them yeah. pop up because then you wouldn't have known the second and third. That's the way I look at it. If if I never, if they never thought that she was small, some of this stuff might not have been noted. Right. And you were not feeling any symptoms that were odd. So you probably would have been like, I'm good. Right. Yeah. No contractions. No, no anything. I, I got told that no more exercise. So I, I hadn't been doing much aerial because everything was closed and I didn't have a rig at the time. Pretty much limited to one walk a day. Oh, okay. So can you explain what this third situation is? Because they never even really explained this one too much to me because this was kind of just like the last little thing they found. And I think at that point they were just like, all right, we're admitting you. But it's like an amniotic band and like the, the membranes within like the whole space where the baby takes up the space, you get the placenta, you get all the fluid. Like there wasn't anything wrong with the fluid, but I think the way that they explained it to me was that like the band itself, like that could kind of like impinge and like cut off like other forms, like the blood flow to the, the baby in a way that way as well. The membranes were all starting to separate. And if they like pull apart, like I guess that's another thing that could cause the baby to be in distress. So the actual membrane of the amniotic sac you started like pulling away <laughs> of sorts. So like, if you think of like, um, just fascia kind of tearing. In a, in a way, it didn't sound like they were concerned of anything like completely rupturing, but they were just like making sure that the baby wasn't going to get like, kind of cut off. Holy moly. Okay. So at that point, at 31 weeks and change, they decided, okay, you're getting admitted. That's a long time in the hospital. So how long were you... At the hospital. That's a long freaking time. Yeah, it ended up being so because of everything going on, they didn't and she wasn't gaining weight. Like they kept checking and she was way undersized that they were like, we're hoping we can keep you in here till 34 weeks. And then we think the best act, course of action to take is to, you know, either induce or C-section. And I was like, okay, hopefully we can make it there. The doctors definitely didn't think I was going to make it to 34. I thought they think when they admitted me, they thought I'd be having her within a couple of days that's a lot less cooking in the oven than normal oh yeah a lot less I had a friend who had her twins at 30 weeks and oh my god it wasn't until I was a pregnant lady myself I realized how early yeah that is it's all the little things you don't think about you're like oh man I haven't really prepped anything I don't got the car seat yet I don't got this going I'm like oh okay well and just the um development of the child I know my friend had to do occupational therapy with her twins for four years oh yeah yeah we're in we're in OT now we about almost every week <laughs> yeah yeah okay so you're in the hospital you get to 34 weeks yep we get to 34 and I don't know if it's just because they think I'm like a fit healthy person otherwise they're like let's induce you <laughs> And I'm like, sure, if you think that's the best option, we'll go for it. Would you rather have just scheduled a C-section? I mean, I would have loved to have her her vaginally, but at that point, I'd, I'd already like kind of checked that out of my mind so long ago because I was just like, oh, they told me I'm going to need like a classical C, which is like the vertical cut when she was super small. But then they thought I was doing so well. They'd be like, no, no, we can skip all of that. And I was like, all right, 
the induction didn't work and we ended up with a, just a regular old C-section. Okay. What's the difference with the vertical cut? I think it's, it's a more invasive C-section that if you were to have a second child, they would automatically do C-section again. There'd be no VBAC option. But luckily we had a regular old thing and the C-section went great. She came out doing great at two pounds and 11 ounces. Oh my God, that's so small. <laughs> it's a little thing. Oh my God, that is so small. And because it's also small for 34 weeks. And even now when they put her up against the growth curves now, I'm like, guys, she's like the size of a 28-weeker. And how old is she now? She is 14 months. Wow. The last time she got weighed two weeks ago was 13 and a half pounds. Wow. I have a lot of things to say, but let's go <laughs> chronologically. Oh yeah. It's not that I have a lot to say. I have a lot of questions. Okay, let's go chronologically. So she comes out, she's healthy, but she's tiny. Super tiny. So we were always under the impression because during all those ultrasounds I got, they were like, everything looks good. She's just small. So we'll go to the NICU, we'll feed and grow. And my thought was like, okay, maybe we'll be home around her due date, which was like maybe six weeks or so. You know, her lungs are great. She didn't need to be under any of the billy lights or any of the stuff that uh, typical premature kids tend to need. And I was like, wow, okay, great. So they just needed to make sure she grew right. in a very controlled environment. Exactly. And so we we're like, okay, we can do this. And about a week after she was born, we got a call from the hospital, like before we were heading in for the morning and they were like, yeah, we're just going to, we're going to send out for an echo or an echocardiogram. Uh, they're like, we don't worry. We're just going to just check in something. And luckily we got there before they started it, but that's when they found the congenital heart defect. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So congenital heart defect, just completely separate. If everything else had not happened, this would still have been it would there still probably. still have been kind of a crazy way to enter the world. <laughs> okay. So congenital heart defect. And what did that mean for, for this baby? Like what kind of defect? So in this case, her defects, which I've learned that CHD in general has like, it's one of the more common things that happens with children. It's like one in a hundred kids have something, which is just mind boggling to me. What she was dealing with, her biggest concern was the coarctation of the aorta. Means the aorta is smaller. Yeah. So there's like a little bit of like almost narrowing. Like it's like the, that aorta, which is that big vessel that, you know, sends all the blood out it was like narrowed to an extent that the heart had to work harder to like pump it out. And so it can affect uh, blood pressures and it can like kind of mess with organs. They noticed it a week out because at a, at a week mark is when like, we have like a little duct when we're born, patent ductus arterios. I just call it PDA, but this little duct that we're- that, You mean not public display of affection, it's something I else. know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so what well, we're born with, the PDA helps like- in that first little bit of time, okay, get the body started, kid, let's go. Then it closes and everything's fine. But in kids with like the co-arc, it closes. And then all of a sudden the heart's like, wait a minute, I have to do all this work and push through this tiny little space. They caught it right away. We're very lucky in that sense. And because they noticed her blood pressures were off from like her lower body to her upper body. Mm. We immediately had to stop feeding her. And they like had to just start giving her nutrition through like a, a line in her leg. Then we got the fun part of waiting to fi figure out what to do because, you know, the, it's a surgical, it needs to be surgery, but she was too small for surgery. 
I was going to say your baby's probably three pounds by now, if that. Yeah, she was barely hitting the three pound mark at this point. She pretty much gained the weight back that you lose when she first was born. And we're like, all right, we're making progress, making progress. Oh my God. Let me just let me just take this into of course. consideration. My daughter was seven pounds, which oh. was normal, but yeah. then closer to small than big. She felt so small to me. So I'm thinking minus five of those pounds. It's crazy. What? I'm like five, five, maybe 130 pounds now pregnant, maybe 165, 70 pounds. And she fit like on my chest, the the space between like your, your clavicle and like your breasts. She fit right there. Oh my God. That's so little. Yeah. It was so delicate. Like, so like just to be able to hold her was like, an Olympic sport for the nurses, like helping us with all the cords and moving uh-huh. all the things around. Oh my around. goodness. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I had to take a oh, no, moment for myself. <laughs> you had to wait and see. So how, what was that? Like every single day pins and needles because oh, you're yeah. just waiting for the baby to get bigger so that you could put her in surgery, heart like, surgery. They would weigh her every morning if she gained 10 grams, it was a good day. You're like, wow. And like, you think of a, gr- a gram is like nothing. So she needed to be one and a half uh, kilograms. So around like the three and a third pound mark for them to do the surgery, which to me still boggles my mind that they can do surgery on a three, barely over three pound kid. But so it took us about two and a half weeks on top of that to get to that point. Oh my God. And that's stressful because this whole time you're like, okay, her heart's working too hard. Her heart's working too hard. Right. Like, I mean, luckily she was so stable throughout the everything and and she's been such a trooper, but every day you're just like, oh my God, like something bad could turn at any moment. Mm. We're very lucky that didn't happen. The surgery went crazy well. And this is like open heart surgery on a three pound baby. So they didn't have to go in through the the sternum like a typical open heart because she was so small they were too afraid to put her on like the heart lung machine uh-huh where her coarc was it was almost more lateral so they were able to go in through her left side of her ribs okay and like laparoscopic yeah uh, so it was open still but it was they call it a thoracotomy okay oh my god these doctors are really really smart hey, <laughs> um, you know, they told me her heart's like the size of a walnut at the time i'm like oh man what are they doing in there exactly to make this aorta bigger. The way they explained it to me was they were pretty much like taking this little tissue that was like, it's like a piece of tissue paper, like that thin and super tiny, like probably less than a fingernail size, just slightly like pulling it back and like stitching this little thing and kind of making it so that the aorta has, it's the same size throughout that whole spot. So it doesn't end up, one of the bad side effects that sometimes happens is it re-narrows and they have to go in and either do like a, probably a catheter or go in and do a full surgery again. But luckily in her case, she hasn't had any of those issues. So is it kind of like a stint? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Draw All the drawings they were giving me. I'm like, all right. Yeah, this is, I don't know how you're going to pull this one off, but okay. <laughs> and had these particular doctors done this before? Yeah, this doc, crazy. One of my friends is a NICU nurse and it's, they're like, oh yeah, like coarcs. We're not really ever worried about coarcs. It's like, it's all the other stuff that's the heart, the actual like open heart stuff. Because a lot of those kids, unfortunately, like it's almost like you're just putting a bandaid on it where you know you're going to need another surgery or you're going to need all these other things. So we're so thankful and blessed that we're in the situation where she could very well never need another surgery. Well, and Boston has some of the best hospitals in the world, right? 
when we were in the hospital that I was gave birth at to the children's hospital, it was like a 0.1 ride mile ride. It's like, all right, let me just get myself over there. Yeah. One week post C-section, just waddle your way over. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you were in a different place and oh. middle of rural, whatever. Right. Like I, I always think about if I had moved to New Hampshire, things would have been even harder. Just like just thinking about all that commute down, especially because we're still too close for them to like, to like stay overnight and with COVID and it's like one parent this and all of that. But so we just got really lucky all around. Okay. So they did the baby heart surgery. Yep. Which isn't stressful or anything. No, not at all. <laughs> and then back into the NICU. Yep. And then, so yeah, they have a, a SICU, so a cardiac ICU where she spent some time there and then she was transferred back down to the NICU to try and get growing and feed in. And once they, they did another echo, they liked what they were seeing. She looked stable. They sent her back to the suburban hospital and the special care nursery to feed and grow. Number one, how long was she in the NICU? How long did it take for you to bring her home? And were you trying to breastfeed during this time, like pump? Oh yeah, me and the pump, BFFs. <laughs> <laughs> so you were trying to keep that lactation going the whole oh, time. Oh my gosh, the, the, the pump, oh. Gosh, I never, never thought I'd be like an exclusive pumper, but here I was yeah. in closets, bedside with them doing echoes. I'm sitting there pumping. I'm like, yeah, so I was, I was pumping and they were giving it to her via an NG tube through her nose. Okay. Once um, she was allowed to eat food again. So I, all the nurses were joking because I was in kind of an overproducer when I started, but she couldn't eat. We had too much milk for by the time we went to the special care uh, hospital. Uh, I had to take my my milk home. They're like, we don't have a freezer big enough to hold all of your stuff. Oh my goodness. <laughs> they gave me a wheelchair full and I had to like, pretty, I was actually doing sled pushes, getting into my car, like don't melt. <laughs> you were like an overachiever. Oh, so it's, uh, yeah, that stopped, you know, towards the end, but uh, I at least had a good amount going to start. Well, at least you didn't have a problem there because that's like one more problem on top of all the problems. It would have been so much more stressful. Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> Yeah, that was just, luckily I never got any mastitis or any of like the painful irritation, like other than like the, just the normal stuff. Okay. And how long uh, before you guys could take her home? We took her home one day after her due date. So we took her home six weeks and one day after she was born. Okay. And when you took her home, how, how big was she? Uh, four pounds, like one ounce. In your mind, a lot bigger. Oh yeah. For everyone else. It's like, whoa, that's a tiny baby. They were pretty much getting her to the point where she could fit in the car seat, like, and legally drive away. Yeah. Cause that's a problem. Apparently there's, if you have to take a baby home that's smaller than four pounds, they have like a car seat bed that they can like lie down in. And that scares the heck out of me. So Justine, I, I asked you not to like move and stuff and do stuff while you're on this podcast. And meanwhile, my daughter's like kicking the desk. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know how somebody like shakes their foot continuously. <laughs> That's like, awesome. I made sure I could, I picked a day where I could bring her to my, I'm at my mother's house right now. Cause I'm like, my, my kid cannot sit still. <laughs> Well, it's one of those things that because I'm doing this all the time, yeah. it's like I just have to work around it. And she's part of it now. She's part of the podcast. Well, she, for this type of podcast, it's so perfect. Yeah. And even for the other one, it's fine too. Everybody freaking loves yeah. it. So everybody loves a cute voice coming on, but I'm just like, can you stop kicking? And of course she's like <laughs> doing it more. 
Um, <laughs> that was like in your in your episodes when she says bye and everything to the at the end. I there. know it's so cute, and I'm like, I hope it's cute to everyone else. Of course, oh, it is. Of course, it's cute to me because like I'm her mom. But no, hundred yeah, yeah. cute. <laughs> okay, so you've got you've got an atypical situation, but but now you're just trying to help her grow and develop. Exactly. So a lot of craziness, okay. but we, things could always be worse is the way I look at it. And things are going really well. She's happy and healthy and thriving, even though she's tiny as heck. She's got, she likes to have all of her different types of things going wrong that uh, aren't wrong. To me, I don't seem like problems at all because of everything we've been through. Because mm-hmm. some people would be worried about it. Like she had torticollis and a little bit of plagiocephaly. And Okay, I have no idea what these things are. Oh, so torticollis is like text neck. It's like when one side of your neck, like the baby only wants to look one way and like the, the muscles are shortened on one side. Okay. Sometimes it can be from positioning. I think she probably acquired that from being in the NICU and just like not moving around very much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you work on it because if, if not, sometimes it can leave like the flat spot in the head. Uh-huh. Okay. And so luckily we avoided a helmet, all that type of stuff. But I'm like, okay, I can deal with musculoskeletal stuff. We're good. You know, at some point with the bean, they're like, you know, if you want a helmet, this is when you have to start. And I look at Asa and I'm like, is her head that bad? <laughs> right. <laughs> that our doctor's saying it. this? If you want a perfect head, this is the time. I mean, this is such a privileged world we live in. You know, like mold your child's head. I think the helmet might like be heavier than her body. Like, can we not put that on her? <laughs> yeah, it cannot be comfortable. I know some kids that had it and I'm just like, okay, that's cute for a second. Yeah. And like when you really need it, you need it. It's totally fine. Whatever. But like, I'm like, okay, I'm glad her head wasn't that bad that we didn't need to try and go down that, that road. And she's 14 months now. Trying to get her to, to eat and eat more food, but she's just go, go, go. This kid cannot sit still, Aww. <laughs> which is great, you know? And I mean, they don't want her to just be like a, a bump on a log, but I'm like, I think that's why she's not gaining weight. <laughs> so she's on her own growth curve. Yep. Do you think that she's going to just be a smaller child? I think so. I think one of the things with like IUGR uh, babies is sometimes they catch up by two. Other times they just end up being smaller than average. I'm not very tall. My husband's not very tall. Like, I mean, maybe it's because of our own size, but I don't think that I don't think there's really a genetic necessarily component to it, but she's just a petite one. And how is, how's your body? I'm doing okay. I actually recovered from the C-section way better than I expected, especially since I did not do any, you know, being a a provider myself, I'm like, okay, I'm going to admit here that I did not get to do as much of like the baby walking and just breathing and taking it easy for those six weeks. I was, you know, pacing around a hospital and, you know, pumping in closets. So hunched over and, you know, hospital chairs aren't the most comfortable thing in the world. Yeah. And not focusing on yourself even more than a regular mom, because I know for sure even though I'm trying to get back in shape, it's not, the focus isn't on me anymore. Right. You're like, if you, once the six week mark happened and they're like, oh yeah, you were fine to start doing whatever you wanted whenever they, my uh, OBs were just like, oh yeah, you're good. Just because they say you can doesn't mean it's always the best idea, especially when you've got a lot on your plate. Well, you, when you say six week mark, you're saying six week mark after her duty. Yes. And I'm like, I'm taking her home from the hospital tomorrow. I'm, I'm not doing anything right this second. <laughs> yeah, I know. I started with some like light stuff on the ground, all the, all the, the typical stuff. I got back in the air at about the 12, 13 mark. And that's when I went back to work as well. So 12 weeks. So like three months, me too. And I didn't have my hip key anymore. Oh God. Wasn't that the saddest thing? Or my inversion in the air. You know, my invert, I was like, Oh God, was 
tagging the fabric and you know, having to launch yourself. I'm like, oh gosh, I got to take a step back. I- Wait, what's tagging the fabric? I don't know that term. You know, when students are first learning how to invert and they like, they kind of try to help themselves up by like, oh, you call that tagging the fabric. I love oh that. Oh my gosh, what do you guys it? call it? <laughs> I don't know if I call it anything actually. Oh my God, she's tapping. I've learned foot. a lot that the West Coast and East Coast talk. So like, it's almost like a different language. Uh, yes, I've heard this. But I don't, oh my God, I just put my hand on my daughter's leg and she just brushed my hand off. (laughs) (laughs) But if I go to the bathroom right now, she will cry and scream. Oh, of course. Why are you ever leaving? (laughs) I had somebody at the very beginning of my training say, this is called the curry chicken. Ah. (laughs) And I don't know what we were doing because it was so long ago. And I was like, oh, why is it named that? And whoever this person was who was instructing me, she's like, it's because I had that night for dinner. Of course. Yeah, there's always some ridiculous... And I was like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I know. And it's it, it gets confusing. So I didn't know that, but I'm going to steal it. Oh, well, yeah. Tagging from a couple different people. I didn't make that one up. <laughs> now that you're kind of out of the woods. Right. And you're back to Ariel. What would you say is the balancing act? <sighs> It's, it's hard. I think you probably know this better than most too, where you're, you try to make sure you focus. Like when you're, when it's like your day with your daughter, you sit there and you're like, all right, we're going to make sure we get everything done that you need done. Like play and do all the things. And then you're like, oh crap. But then at the end of the day, when she goes to bed, you're like, oh, I should kind of just, you know, either lesson plan or, you know, clean the house. Or maybe I should think about what am I going to train myself on? Mm -hmm. I don't want to fall so far behind in my own training that I'm not able to be a good enough teacher at it. And my dirty little secret is I don't class prep anymore. <laughs> I like, I have just like a, a bucket vat of things and I'm like, all right, what are we going to do today? Let's take a look. Who's here? Luckily, I've been teaching for so long and I have come up with so much crap. Yeah, you have so much material you can just keep going through. But that's okay. But yeah, that's my dirty little secret for the people who are wondering if I, <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I haven't been teaching that long and COVID kind of shut it down for a little while, but it's like, okay, I'm finally getting to that point where I'm like, all right, yep, no, that's a good, that's a good stack. When you hear the term like work-life balance, I feel like there's no such thing as like perfect balance. You're kind of like, it's a little bit more work today and it's a little bit more life tomorrow. And you just, yeah, I mean, pretty much every mom I've talked to this, this work-life balance like word is hilarious yeah, because it doesn't exist. Nope. You just kind of deal with it. I don't know about you, but I'm super ambitious. I want to do a lot of things. Absolutely. Still. Well, you got two podcasts. So, I mean. <laughs> I've got not one, but two in case somebody missed one. Heck yes. And yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that, that's, that's, that's hard too. It's like, okay, well, if I wanted to, I could cut back more, but I don't, I feel like you don't want to cut away things that you thoroughly enjoy to do or are part of you as well. Yeah. Because that also starts to degrade at your exactly identity when it's already been slightly degraded because now your focus isn't on you at all. So exactly. Do you have one piece of advice for any mom that goes through a NICU stay that goes through some of these more rare things for women out there who might be going through this? The best advice that I, I mean, no, I didn't really get a ton of advice, but I just had a lot of support and I was just so thankful, even though it was all virtual support for the most part, because we all couldn't see each other, but don't be afraid to lean on your friends and your family and like 
don't be afraid to kind of like talk to people and don't let it bottle up because it can certainly get at you. And when you need a break from the NICU, you take a break. The nurses are really good about saying that. Like you want to be there 12 hours, 14 hours all day, every day, but eventually your body, you're going to break down if you don't take time to go grab that coffee or go read a book while you're sit bedside or do something that is going to at least take your mind off of sometimes the super serious aspect of it all. Is it impossible to not feel guilty about that? Oh yeah. I feel like every time I would leave the hospital, I'm like, am I leaving too early today? Oh God. I mean, the mom guilt is like triple. Oh my gosh. I feel like it gets worse every year with all the different things that people can guilt you That you can feel guilty about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my recent thing is I'm like, okay, so I'm a busy working from home mom. I usually teach about two hours a day, but the rest of the day I'm home with her, which is, I think great. That's what I want to be with her. Right. But I'm like, she hasn't gotten any arts and crafts today because (laughs) I was podcasting. Yep. Like she's watching Masha and the bear, which by the way, she's very happy to watch Masha and the bear. It's her favorite. (laughs) Like I have guilt around, like she's not having like. Oh, that perfect. Like if she was, yeah. If she was in preschool Mm -hmm. or if she was with a different type of mom, she might've already had like done painting this morning. Yeah, she's got a cool mom. Don't worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, this is so typical of my mom who's full Chinese, like, you know, from a different generation. I was like, did you feel guilty when we weren't doing anything fun or creative because you had to work? She was like, no. "No. (laughs) Are you crazy? I I had to raise three kids and your father didn't help. You know, I'm by myself. Our family wasn't anywhere around. She's like, are you crazy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I think the guilt's always there. And you just got to tell it like, okay, guilt, go away. You're not, you're okay. I got to take care of me to take care of the baby. I'm good. Yeah. And I do see also other working parents just bring their kid to work if they own their own business and they're just there. And who says that is a worse or lesser of an experience than like- Absolutely. Having arts and crafts, you know? Yeah. So just take some where it is. That's great. And to, to try not to feel guilty about taking care of yourself. Because I'm like the first person that's like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. No, I'm good. Don't, no worries. No worries. You sound pretty tough. And then, so then of course, like I, I, I bawled when I saw how everyone just took such good care of me from my coworkers, patients, students, family, friends, everyone was just down for me so much that I'm like, oh my God, like, how do I make this up to everybody? And I guess the only way I know how to make up to it for everyone is just to be like, look, she's doing great. <laughs> And no one expects that. Right. Anyway. Right. Anyway, that's, that's what we put on ourselves. I would, you know, I did the same thing. I'm like, oh my goodness, all these people bringing me takeout right. when I was postpartum. How am I going to, you know, but that's not what it is. You just pay it forward to the, exactly. to the next person. Justine, I am so happy to connect with you. I'm really excited for the listeners to hear another, I want to say diverse, but it's just rare story. Yeah. No, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much to Justine for honoring us with her story. And if you go to the show notes, you'll get more details about the comprehensive Wrap Your Head Around Silks course that will be open for registration on October 18th for a limited time. Thank you so much to Asa Watkins for post-production. And listeners, this is a small community. If you guys have any experiences yourself and these stories resonate with you, please 
leave a comment on the podcast and I'll be able to get to it. I'll be able to maybe reach out to you. We just really want to hear your story as well. So please reach out to us there, or you can always email me at carrie at wrapyourheadaroundsilks.com. And thanks for listening. This is the Expecting Aerialist podcast. Can you say thank you? Thank you. Can you say podcast? Oh, um, yeah. Can you say see you later? Yeah. Try again. See you later. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Oh, that was beautiful. Say thank you. Thank you. Say bye. Bye, Mama. <laughs>